You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. We are so glad that you are here on this wonderful day. What a great time of worship, of singing, of being able to just get connected in that way to get our hearts ready. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally cool. We got one right in the seat back in front of you, and you can take that home with you. That's our gift to you if you want to have that. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think it's on page like 1058 or something, 55 in the the Pew Bible back there. Um, So awesome, awesome stuff. Welcome Sienna Cypress downtown, digital family as well. We're talking about in this new series, a two in God's hands. How powerful it is if we are a tool in God's hands, but how many fails there can be when there's tools in our hands. It doesn't always go well. And one of the things I get great joy out of is watching internet videos of fails. So let's just kind of laugh together a little bit of seeing when the tool is in our hands compared to we want to be the tool in God's hands. Let's see what happens when the tool's in our hands. So that will keep you, that will keep you from doing that. There we go. Now I'm back on. See a tool in my hands. I can't keep my mic on. It all just kind of works out. That'll keep you from doing some yard work today, maybe, or something like that. But when we are a tool in God's hands, it makes a huge difference. The Lord's not going to mess it up. He's not going to tip it over. He's not going to make it wrong. He's not going to get it wrong with you. But when we have it in our hands, sometimes we can get it wrong. Now in this chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we end up with this time of looking where we're going to see Paul's going to be telling Timothy, this is how I want you to be a tool in God's hands. I want you to know that God can use you, and I'm going to give you some things of how you can be a tool in God's hands. Now, if you're just jumping in, let me tell you where we are. We're in the New Testament. There's a big guy named Paul that wrote 13 books out of the New Testament. This is the last one that he's written, 2 Timothy, and he's writing it to his son in the faith, Timothy, so an older man writing to a younger man saying, this is what I want you to be about. He's writing it from a dungeon. And he's saying, this is the things that you need to be about. So if you're like me and you want God to use you and you want to make a difference and you want to have a life that really counts for something, let's look into First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to take it all the way to verse 13, but we're going to start in verse 1 and verse 2. You, therefore... My son, so this is Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
The first thing that he gets there, and this is a big phrase, it's all throughout the scriptures, and it's right there, you therefore, my son, be strong. I want you to say those two words on the count of three. One, two, three, be strong. One more time. One, two, three, be strong. You're going to find that all throughout the scriptures. Be strong. Why? Because it's hard for us to be strong. Temptation pulls us. Sin pulls us. Peer pressure is a real thing. Everybody against you hurts. And so it's hard to be strong. The culture comes against us. Our own flesh goes against us. Circumstances seem to be against us. But yet all throughout the scriptures, he's like, okay, be strong, be strong. Don't get moved. Don't let that wind push you over. You be strong. Because if you're strong, you're going to see God using you and you're gonna see the blessing of life that you're gonna go, wow, look at what God is doing and understand who he is. So the first thing is he wants us to have this, is that we would be strong in your walk with Jesus. Be strong in your walk with Jesus. You can be strong in your academics, that's awesome. You can be strong in your athletics, that's great. You can be strong in your business. You can be strong in your relationships. But the Main point is from those things, you want to have the foundation that you're strong in your walk with Jesus. How are you going to be strong in the creation if you're not strong with the creator? And so he says, I want to be strong in Jesus. So Timothy, I want you to know the first thing is be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. I love this. Be strong. It's a word that it, it, if you were to take back to the root word in Greek, it's where we get the word dynamite. Saying, I want you to be dynamite. I want you to be strong. And all throughout the scriptures, we see that. Joshua, just give you an example. Joshua chapter one, four times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Verse six, be strong and courageous. Verse seven, be strong and very courageous. Verse nine, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Verse 18, only be strong and courageous. Now that first chapter of Joshua, I remember when I first started speaking at stuff years and years ago, I was just a a young college kid, just out of college even at some points, and I'd be sitting on the front row, and I'd be about to speak, and I'd be so nervous that I would literally turn to Joshua chapter one and read the verses I just told you. I'd be like, be strong, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous in the grace of Christ, just trust in Jesus, God's going to do it. And then to make it even worse, I would often have Pepto-Bismol tablets in my pocket, and I would eat those because my stomach was just like a knot's. Be strong and courageous, but here's the deal, in the grace of Jesus Christ. Not in your ability, not in your academics, not in your intelligence, not in your experience. Be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's the blessing of God. It's something you can't earn, you don't deserve, you'll never be worthy of it. He grants you grace in his love. He says, I want you to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. So in my little example, so I was going to get up, I'm going to speak to this little youth group here or whatever size youth group, and I'm going to say, okay, Lord, in the grace of Christ, and somehow God would use it and God would do something with it. So in the grace of Jesus, not in your works, not in your intellect, not in your education, not in your experience, not in how pretty you are, not in how handsome you are, not how in this you are, how that you are. It's in the grace of Jesus Christ. See, what he's saying is, Timothy, I want you to trust in Christ, not in yourself. I want you to trust in Christ, not culture. And as the current drifts, you be strong in Jesus. And here's how you're going to do this. As you walk in strength, I'm going to take you to verse 2. This is what you do to walk this out. And in verse two, it says this, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach also. He's saying this, be a disciple who makes disciples. 
Be a disciple who makes disciples. So a disciple is a follower. So I'm following Jesus. I'm obeying what God wants me to do. I'm loving him. I'm walking with him. But I also want to pass it on to somebody else. It's not just for me. It's for me to be overflowing so that then I can pass it on and I can be a disciple that makes disciples. Here's where the joy in life comes. It comes when you're an influence and an impact on somebody else. Joy doesn't come in selfishness. Joy comes in being able to give it away. So parents, let me just give you an encouragement. You are the primary discipler of your kids. You're the primary discipler of your kids. So don't take them to a Christian school, a Christian camp, or a Christian church and be like, uh, could y'all fix them in an hour and send them back to me? Now, we're going to do everything we can, and hopefully God will use all those things. Those are all great things. But to be a primary discipler doesn't mean that you got to have a four-point Bible study once a day. It's that you're walking with God in such a way as they're seeing the Christian life lived out, and they're seeing that lived out so that they're going to live it out as well. Now, let me encourage you, if they're not living it out like you want them to live it out or God wants them to live it out, you just keep praying. Just keep hanging on. Let God do his work. They'll come back, hopefully, as a prodigal. But to be able to say, I want to be the primary discipler. Life Bible study in our church is a great place for discipleship, to meet somebody and say, hey, can we meet together? And maybe it turns into a formal six-week program of, of discipleship or 12 weeks or whatever it is, or a lifetime. That's great. But a lot of it's caught on the fly as well. It's when you're volunteering and you're pouring into something. You can volunteer with preschool or with children and pour into those kids and, and be able to be an influence in their life. There's folks at your office that you can say to a younger person, hey, you want to grab coffee and let's just grab coffee and connect together and be able to to minister in that way. Older married folks, let me tell you what, younger married folks are dying for an older couple to take them out to dinner. To just be able to say, "Could, could you just share with me? Our young singles would love to have somebody say, hey, could we grab a cup of coffee and let me just bounce some business ideas I have. How did you do what you do? How did this happen? What's your faith look like in this? All these different things. I, in my own life, for years here at our church, I would take younger staff members, guys that were younger staff members. I called them the A-team. We'd meet once a week in my office, and we would go through ministry questions, and we would just meet together and talk. Then we'd have them over to our house with their wives, and we'd be able to spend time together and have a dinner together with my wife and their wives and all of us together. It was great. It was just a little discipleship. Even now, there's, there's guys that I'm kind of trying to raise up to be, be speakers and to help them to maybe be a pastor one day and all those things on our staff. And so right now at this moment, they have my outline that I'm preaching from right now in their laps. And they're seeing how I'm doing this and what's happening. And we've talked about it already. And we're going to talk about if they were going to speak this weekend, then we would have already prepared together and gone through it together, had meetings together. And then tomorrow I'd call them or Tuesday I'd call them and say, okay, when you preached, at that campus or that service, how did it go? What went great? What could be improved upon? And then I pour into them for a few minutes and try to give them 30 years worth of ministry experience. So there's a discipleship thing that happens. Here's how I like to say it. Here's what discipleship is, what it means to me. You watch me. You help me. I'll help you. I'll watch you. You see it? First thing is, you just watch me. Watch me. Watch, watch how I handle my family. Watch how this. Now, I'll, now you help me. How do we put this message together? How do we do this? How do, how do we serve together? Then I'll help you. Now, you're the one in charge. I'm gonna, where I'm helping you. And then I'll watch you. Isn't that a great place of parenting as well? You watch me. I want to be a good example. I'll, you help me. Let's, let's, we're all a team together. I'll help you. And then ultimately, I'll watch you and see God do things in your life as well. So discipleship is the pouring in to somebody else. It's the baton pass, if you will. Now, he says in this baton pass 
that we're going to train up and we're going to give it. Look in verse 2. What you've heard in me in the presence of many witnesses. What is that? Paul, what's the list? Well, Paul's like, um, that's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, you know, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. It's all, he's written the whole thing down, Romans. It's all here. So that's what he's talking about. All these things you have heard from me and seen in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want you to pass the baton so those people can pass the baton so those people can pass the baton. Somehow we're in Houston, Texas, talking about a Jewish savior named Jesus born in Bethlehem. How'd that happen? Baton pass, baton pass, baton pass, baton pass, baton pass. On it goes. And we now have the baton. And we are called to pass it on. And who do you pass it on to? You pass it on to what I want to call after people, acronym, A-F-T-E-R. Here they are. Available, write it in your notes, after. Available, faithful, available, faithful, teachable, eager, reproducible. So they're available. Hey, I'm ready. They're faithful. They're walking with God. They're teachable. They're not like, don't tell me. I don't need to know it. Teachable. They're eager. I want to learn. And they're reproducible that their life is going to pour into somebody else's life. They're after people. Paul says, faithful men who can teach. So I want this to keep on going. There's a baton pass that happens. 2008, long time ago, but 2008, we were in the Olympics as we always are as the the great United States. And it was the men's relay in the semifinals. And on the third baton pass, this is what happened. Look at this picture. All the preparation to get to the Olympics, all the running, all the effort, all the time trials, all the things. And on the third pass, the baton was dropped. They were disqualified and they lost. Heartbreak. Oh, and we could preach a bunch of sermons in the church and we could sing a bunch of songs in the church and we could build a whole lot of buildings in the church. But if we don't pass the baton to the next generation, we've missed it. This is the key verse here of 2 Timothy. And so the baton's got to get passed more and more over and over and over. So I just ask you a convicting question. I ask it myself as well. Who are you pouring into? Who are you pouring into? Who is it that's around you? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your friendships. Maybe it's just somebody you just asked to get coffee. Maybe it's a place to volunteer within ministry or the church. Where are you pouring in? If it's all about you, it's not right. It can't all be about you. It's got to be about somebody else and passing that baton on. But I'm so busy, but I'm so frazzled, but I don't know what I'm going to say, but I don't know. Nobody wants to hear from me. You just get with a person and pour into them. I got young pastors that call me all the time, which is discouraging that now I'm the old pastor that they call, but that's what happens, right? And I try to pour back into them and to pour into them and to make a difference in their life. Now, are these just this after thing of available, faithful, teachable, eager, reproducible? And we just, is that, does that work in real life? Well, if you looked into LinkedIn, it gives the top 14 or 15 qualities that employers look for and hire. So here's what they're looking for as employers. It sounds very Christian to me. Ambition, communication, confidence, critical thinking, dependability, determination, eagerness to learn. Flexibility, honesty, loyalty, positivity, problem solving, strength, teamwork, and work ethic. That's what Paul's telling Timothy right here, isn't it? This is the kind of guy I want you to be. 
And our world loves to have Christian adjective without being nat, Christian now. Oh, we want faith, hope, and love. Well, then here's Jesus. Well, I don't, we don't want Jesus. We just want faith, hope, and love. Well, it comes from Jesus is where it comes from. And so all these things come from Jesus. The stakes are high. If we don't pass the baton, the gospel ends with our generation. The gospel ends with our family lineage. And I had a great opportunity to pass the baton. I was, I was uh, traveling, speaking to um, student ministry groups, uh, camps, before I was a pastor here. And so each summer, I would basically get in the car and drive all over Texas, going for a week at a time and speaking at all these camps in the hottest places on planet Earth. And it was awesome. It was great. And there was a guy that um, he had become the chaplain of an organization that, um, that I was a part of in college. And so I asked him, I said, hey, would you like to come with me this summer and just jump in the car and we'll drive around the state and you want to be a pastor and you want to be a speaker? Why don't you just come with me? Would you like to do that? He said, man, I'd love that. That'd be great. So we got in his Buick Skylark. Okay, and drove around the state of Texas. Oh, the glamour of being a traveling minister, right? I love when people say, you know, traveling is glamorous for a living for anyone who doesn't do it. And so here we were going all over the place and doing stuff, and it was great. And I would give my outline to him, and he'd sit there, and I'd go over, here's what I'm going to do in the mess, here's what I think God's doing, here's how I'm doing. Did you notice how I switched this illustration to here and do this here? And he'd sit there with that, and we'd talk shop in the car, and we drove all around the state of Texas for that summer's amazing time. Great, great, great time. I loved it. He loved it. It was amazing. Great memories for both of us. And then it came time for me to be the pastor of this church. And so I left Breakaway and his name is Ben and Ben became the leader of Breakaway. And he began to lead Breakaway until God led him to be a pastor in DC. And now he's pastoring a church in Washington, DC and doing a great job, preaching probably right now at this very moment. And this past January, I got to go to Passion Conference in Atlanta, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, humongous football stadium. And I sat there on row 10. I'm just a guest. I'm not speaking. I'm not, I have no responsibility. I'm just a guest. I'm just sitting there. I'm watching. And the guy that was in the Buick Skylark, I took this picture of him. Can't even hardly see him on the stage with 55,000 students as he is sharing the gospel and teaching. Now, hey, I don't want to take all the credit for Ben's life by any means. I'm just one person on one journey at one spot of one summer and a few times where I want you to know that was a blessing to me to see that. That was a blessing. That's training up faithful men who can teach to say, now you go and expanding and multiplying the ministry. So I don't take all the credit for Ben's life by any means. God's using him in a great way. But I did sit back and go, wow, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 is a good one. And I want to give my life to that. And that makes a difference. He goes further on this passage of Scripture into chapter, uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, and he's going to give us three examples. Now, I could preach a message on each one of these. We could be in a three-part series on each one of these, but we're going to hit them faster. We're going to hit it with a bullet point of one characteristic of these three people Three, three roles, and these three roles to be able to say, okay, what's the deal here? How do we pass the baton? Here's how we do it. Look in verse 3 and ver- through verse 7. See if you can pick out the three roles. Here we go. Share in the suffering as a good soldier. That's the first one. Of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, there's our second one, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer, there's our third one, 
ought to be the first to share of the crops. Consider what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here's our three things, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. You'll see these illustrations all throughout the scriptures. A soldier, an athlete, a farmer. Paul loves these illustrations. So he first of all says the soldier. The soldier is to be focused. That's a takeaway for us if God's gonna use us. If God's gonna use us, then we have to be a soldier and we have to be focused. Now, soldiers know they're in a battle, so they're prepared to suffer and to sacrifice. The Roman soldiers in this day and time, they would enlist for 20 years. Not four years, which is great. We appreciate our soldiers. 20 years they would enlist. There had to be focus. They knew they were in a battle. We were in an unseen spiritual battle. They couldn't get entangled, it said. Hope you'll underline entangled in the scripture there, where it says in verse four, it gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. They couldn't get entangled with the lures of earth, with sin, with busyness, with their own stuff. Instead, they needed to be focused. Now, that Greek word for entangle is a word that they would use for sheep. They would get so caught into the branches of a bush, they couldn't move anymore. So it ceases to be movement because they're entangled. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 12? Well, let's lay aside every sin and encumberment that so easily entangles us. And let's focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross that was set before him for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So entangled, held back, and they pleased their commanding officer. Number two, the athlete is obedient. Now, this is a great thing. I'm a sports guy. I love that sports are mentioned in the Bible. Competition is a good thing. Sports are a great thing. It's an awesome place to learn teamwork. It's an awesome place to learn how to obey your coach. It's an awesome place to learn work ethic. Sports are wonderful. It's great. And here they are. He says, now the athlete has got to be obedient. He's got to compete according to the rules. He's got to compete according to the rules. Now, these Greek athletes, they would spend 10 months in preparation before they would go into their race. So they're obeying the rules and they're 10 months. So you find athletes and you're going to find that they're, they're obedient on their diet. They're obedient on their practice. They're obedient to their coaches. They're obedient to the rules of the game. They, they've got it because there's a focus of the soldier. There's an obedience of the athlete. So if God's going to use us, we've got to be focused on the things that matter. And at the same time, we have to be obedient and walk with God and do what God wants us to do, to, to, to operate in, in intimacy ways of sexuality, to, to operate in the ways that God says, to be in places of purity, all these different places that we're obedient to the Lord. He says, okay, that's the kind of guy I use. That's the kind of gal I use. That's a tool in my hand. Now, I don't know if this will bring back any memory for those of y'all way back when, the 1980 Boston Marathon. This is a very interesting story. If you wanna get lost on YouTube today, you just type in Rosie Ruiz, Boston Marathon, 1980, okay? There's no football games today, so you got all sorts of time to be able to do this. I kind of got lost. You know how you can do it? One more video, one more video, one more 10 minute, one more of this. And it, just, it is a fascinating story. Here's Rosie Ruiz. Rosie Ruiz lived in um, uh, New York. She went into the New York Marathon. She started running and she decided, well, this isn't really for me. So she got on a subway. And she went to the end of the marathon for the New York Marathon, and she faked like she had hurt her ankle at the finish line. So they finished, and they gave her a time of two hours and 56 minutes and such and such seconds, and they thought that she had finished. Well, that time was a qualifying time to go to the Boston Marathon. 
So she took a subway from the front of the New York Marathon to the back of the New York Marathon, fake like she was hurt, qualified for the Boston Marathon, ended back up at her office in New York, and all of her coworkers said, well, Rosie, you go, girl. We put a pool of money together, and we're sending you to Boston, and we're going to pay for the whole thing. Okay. So she goes to Boston, which is the oldest marathon in the world, besides the original marathon when they ran for marathon, 26 miles in Greece. But oldest marathon, I'm pretty sure in the world, maybe just the country, but it's an old one. And so here we are, we've got this, and you've got to qualify for it. This is the granddaddy of them all. This is a big deal. And so she decides she's going to run in the Boston Marathon. So she starts running, and she can't really run very well. So she decides, you know what? And she takes another train to the end of the Boston Marathon. And she gets into the crowd and she's standing there and then she stumbles out of the crowd and starts running to the finish line about a mile left. She made a mistake though. She didn't realize she was going to be the first woman that would finish the race and she would win the Boston Marathon. Now nobody, we wouldn't be talking about this if she would have been like the 58th lady that finished the race. She not only finished the race, she finished it in the third best time, like in history or something, and took off 20 minutes of her time six months earlier in the New York Marathon. So she finishes the Boston Marathon, kind of, I mean, you know, fakes it, but she comes across, and everybody that's like a pro runner's like, she doesn't look like a competition runner. We didn't see her at any of the checkpoints along the way. We've never heard of her. In this worldwide in, in endeavor, she's wearing a short sleeve shirt that all good runners wear, a tank top that's very lightweight. She's wearing like a heavier weight uh, short sleeve shirt, and she really doesn't look that tired, and it's not that much sweat on her. But she gets the, can you imagine? She's like, oh my goodness, she gets the gold thing, she gets the hand, and she's like, this has gone further than I wanted it to go. <laughs> and isn't that what sin does? It takes you further than you want to go and costs you more than you want to pay. So now she's on interviews and on interviews. Let me show you a picture of her faking it, faking it, faking it. <laughs> you see her shirt? That's not a pro runner shirt. Her hair's a little messed up, but not 26 miles messed up. Nobody saw her in this whole thing. She went to her grave saying she won the Boston Marathon. She went to her grave saying she won the, lost, or won the Boston Marathon. Now, maybe there's, there's probably other mental stuff going on. She didn't compete according to the rules, and they took the crown, they disqualified her, and they gave it to the woman who actually did win and should have won and was the professional runner everybody was watching the whole time because they knew, you know who the best are and these sort of things. And athletes compete toward the rules, for the rules. We walk in obedience, and if we're going to disciple and pour our lives into somebody else, then he says, okay, you're going to be an athlete, and you're going to have to compete toward the rules. You're going to have to obey the rules. Number three, the farmer. Hardworking is the quality we can get from the farmer. It's right there in verse six, the hardworking farmer. He ought to get the first of the crops. So he ought to get the blessing. There's blessings that come from hard work. There's blessings that come from discipleship. There's blessings that come in our lives. So Paul's saying, I want you to be a soldier. Keep that focus. I want you to be an athlete. I want you to obey the rules. And I want you to be a hardworking farmer. Pouring your life into somebody else's life and discipleship is not easy. Walking with God is not easy. That's why we began with be strong in the grace of Christ. So be a hard worker. Now, here's the question we can ask here in Houston. Does anybody else even even know a farmer? I mean, who do you know that's a farmer? 
I mean, well, I, there's this lady next door to us that's got a little tomato garden. That's not a farmer. <laughs> well, they give us lemons from their lemon tree every year. There's the best lemons. That's not a farmer. I mean, we don't even know farmers, right? We're city people. Well, I knew a farmer, my father-in-law, my wife grew up on a ranch and he was a rancher and a farmer. And I would say it, and it is true, he's, he's passed away now, but he worked harder physically in a day than I work in a month. I mean, I'm like, do I really have to lift that? Can we wait until the guy that mows the yard comes and gets that? You know, I mean, what? And he's throwing hay bales and mending fences and cows and, I mean, everything. Farming, tilling the land, tractors, fixing stuff. I mean, hard work. And what do we do in this city? We're like, anybody have any Perel? Anybody got any Perel? I just, it's, I just feel so sticky. We're like, not only do we not have calluses, we don't even have germs on our hands, right? And he says, I want you to work hard like a farmer. I want you to till the ground, plant the seed, water it. I want you to wait. I want you to mess with it with your hands. I want you to get out there when it's hot. I want you from dusk to dawn. I want you to give your life to this because I want you to be a soldier. I want you to be an athlete. And I want you to be like a farmer because here's what's going to happen. That crop's going to rise. And you're going to say, wow, I poured into somebody and they poured into somebody and they poured into somebody and look at what God has done. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Now, if you don't, if you're thinking, well, I don't know what to do with this. It's great. Look at verse seven. And we're going to jump uh, from that into verse eight. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here's what you do. God, what opportunities have you put before me that I can pour into somebody else? And then you look in your classes, students. You look on your team, students. You look in your neighborhood. You look in what you're doing. You look in what's happening in life. Those are in the workforce. You look at who's in the cubicle next to you and who lives in the house next to you and who's in the apartment next to you. And is there a place that you can volunteer within the church to serve with preschool or children or students or adults or whatever? Where, where, where can you get involved so that you are passing the baton? But many of us, we're just sitting back at our houses looking at the baton. And instead, let's run the race and let's pass the baton. And so it says in verse 7, if you don't know what to do with this, Pastor Greg, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, but what do I do with this? You pray and you say, God, would you give me understanding in this? And let him bring somebody in your mind. And you just say, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? Let's talk. That can happen. And it'll make a difference in your life. Aren't you grateful for people that poured into you? And you get to pour into them. What a great thing. Okay, now our last thing, we're going to go to verse 8 through verse 13. But let me give you your point first. So we can see it in all the rest of it. Ready? Here's the point first. Write down your listening guide. Be grounded in the unwavering promises of God. Be grounded in the unwavering promises of God. So we're going to see Paul talk about suffering. You say, be grounded. God's got a promise. You're going to feel like sometimes, I can't see God doing anything in in the world. Be grounded. God's promised. He's moving. Oh, man, I just took a dip. I just, just, just dipped down in my faith. I just didn't walk as strong as I needed. Don't worry. God's got you. He's in you. And you stand in his promises. Now let's look at verse 8 through 13. We're going to hit all this in about five minutes. Here we go. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Underline that. Isn't that great? Remember Jesus Christ. How am I going to walk with God? Remember Jesus Christ. Okay, who is he? Risen from the dead, meaning he's the son of God. That's Easter Sunday. And descended from David. That means prophesied through all the Old Testament. This is the Jewish Messiah that was spoken about of the lineage of David. According to my gospel, you can come to know the good news of Jesus, for which I am suffering to the point of being bound like a criminal. Paul's in a dungeon. But, woo, get this, the word of God is not bound. I'm bound. The word of God's not bound. 
This is why I endure all things for the elect so that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Okay? It's a lot here. Let's go back to verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want you to remember Jesus. This is going to be the place of encouragement to you. We as Texans, we know this, right? Remember the Alamo. We got it. Remember the Alamo. Let me go back. What what happened again at the Alamo? Let me go back to my Texas history. Remember the Alamo. We got it. Is Americans, remember 9-11. Okay. We talk about terrorism. Remember 9-11. All right. We got them. Go get them. Remember Pearl Harbor from the World War II generation. And those statements of remembrance, what do they do? They give inspiration and direction. Remember the Alamo. Okay, that's right. I'm a Texan. Remember 9-11. That's right. I'm an American. Remember Pearl Harbor. That's right. World War II. All of those things, when he says, remember Jesus, when you get confronted with sin, when you get temptation, just remember Jesus. He died for you, rose again on your behalf, and the gospel's true in your heart if you've trusted him as Savior. If you haven't trusted him as Savior, here's what it means, that Jesus died for you, that he was God's only son. He came and died on a cross, and you can pray and ask him to forgive your sins and to live in your heart and be your Savior. And when that happens, he comes inside of you and he changes you, and you're a Christian. Not just you go to church. You know Jesus in a personal relationship. That's the good news of the gospel. So remember Jesus. And he says, I'm bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Do you know that God's word is never bound, never limited, and never failing? When you look out in the world, it looks like God's not doing anything. I mean, is there a Christian out there? God's word is at work. Let me give you a couple things to encourage you uh, along the way here as we look out and feel like Christianity's dead. Where is it? In Africa and Asia, there is experiencing rapid growth of Christianity, particularly in Africa and Asia. All over the world, but in Africa and Asia. In Asia and China, where they said, no, you can't worship Jesus. And people say, okay, then we'll just pray in our house church. Boom, 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 boom. Now there's millions and millions and millions of believers in Christ. You can't snuff God out. The word of God is not bound. In Africa, where the typical worship would be idol worship, here comes Jesus and here comes the word of God. And so Africa and Asia in particular, but it's spreading all over the world. Christianity is spreading globally. Do you know that statistically atheism is shrinking? People are hopeless and saying atheism is not working. Now, it seems like a lot of atheists got the microphone, so it gets real loud. But percentage-wise, atheism is shrinking, Christianity is growing. More churches are being planted and more missionaries are being sent out than any time in human history right now, where we are. It's pretty amazing. More dollars are being given to Christian causes than any time in human history. And this one I particularly love, fewer people are without access to the gospel each day. Do you know that Bible translation, and we're a part of that, meaning taking this word of God and putting it into a native tongue of someone, their language, that they believe that by 2020, or excuse me, 2033, so less than 10 years, that every language in every people group will have some portion of the Bible in their language. That is amazing. Let's cheer for that. Come on. We as a church have been given... We're giving money to Bible translation. It's an amazing thing. Our deacon body's helping to translate Bibles through giving as well. I mean, it's, it's amazing what God's doing. Now, I want you to know, when all here, it says the end will come. 
So this is a big deal that in the next, let's say, 10 years, we think there's going to be a portion of Scripture in every language on earth will have access. That is huge. Now, am I saying Jesus is coming right back after that? No, I'm not. But am I saying we're closer today than we were yesterday? Uh Uh-huh, we are. And we're seeing it in our lifetime, the scripture being translated, and that is awesome. So he gets now to this place where the word of God's not bound, Paul's suffering for the gospel. Timothy, I want you to run in this race like this. And then he gets to a really interesting thing in verse 11 through 13. It's either a hymn or a poem that the people would know. And this confuses a lot of people. And so let me just break it down for you step by step, and then we're going to wrap up. For if we died with him, we also live with him. That's not a physical death. That's a, a death of the flesh. That's that we died to ourselves. Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But this life I live by faith in the Son of God who died and rose again on my behalf. So Paul is big on we've died because Jesus died on the cross. We, we are connected to that death. So we've died to our sin and now we live. So if we died with him, we're going to live with him. If you want more Bible on that, Romans 6, verse 8 through 10, you can look at that. And so then we get to verse 12. If we endure with him, we'll also reign with him. So he's saying persevere, keep on going. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Okay, two things are happening here. We're going to wrap this thing up. There's a deny and there's a dip, okay? Let me explain to you. Deny is, he says, if you deny him, then he's going to deny you. That would be found in Matthew chapter 10 as well. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before, my, before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Here's what it means. It means that if you say, I don't want Jesus, you're going to get exactly what you want for eternity, okay? I don't want Jesus. Then you're going to step in front of God without Jesus, and that's not going to work. C.S. Lewis says it like this. There's two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of people that say, thy will be done to God, and there's the kind of people that God says to the person, thy will be done And C.S. Lewis finishes by saying, all who go to hell, choose it. So when you push Jesus away, when you deny him, you say, no, he's not the son of God. No, he's not the Messiah. No, I don't need forgiveness. No, I don't want salvation. When you push that away and you deny, then you're getting exactly what you want. And it's an eternity without Jesus. And I'm telling you, you don't want that. You want Jesus to save your soul, forgive your sins, so you step into heaven and you go, hey, it's not me. It's the grace of Jesus Christ is my strength. Do you see it? All the way back to verse one. And so that's the, that's the deny. But then you get to a second part that is the dip, okay? If we, in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Have you ever been faithless? Have you ever given into temptation? Have you ever had an opportunity to share your, share Christ with somebody or to do something nice and you didn't do it and your faith, you just, you were faithless in that moment. Yes, and I have too. Well, that is a dip, not a deny. Do you see the difference? It's when you go, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. What? Oh, I know better than that. Okay, Lord, let's learn from that. You don't lose your salvation on that. If we lost our salvation every time we didn't walk in faith, we'd be in a world of hurt, wouldn't we? And so faithless is a dip and deny is a deny. And he says, if you are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. Let me give you a little theology just so you can frame it. The Arminian would say, this is a verse, these are verses of scripture that show you can lose your salvation. 
The Calvinists would say, these are verses of scripture that show that you were a poser and you never had your salvation. I'm telling you, I think the biblical tension place is there's a deny and there's a dip. And when you are in Christ and Christ is in you, he cannot deny himself. So you stand before him and you say, yeah, I've had some dips in my life, but I trusted in you and you changed the whole thing. And now I walk in the grace, not the works, of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? So we put this whole thing together. Be strong. Be strong. You remember our previous series we had uh, last week? We ended our series, and it's in here somewhere. We gave everybody these cards. Be strong. Stand strong is what it says. And everybody, hopefully you wrote an encouragement note. I wrote probably 15 of these this week, just trying to encourage people. I had two, this was really sweet, two, two little kids after the service last week came up to me, and they had written a card. Dear Pastor Greg, we just want to encourage you to be strong. Gave me the card after the service. And that's sweet. It's awesome. Cool. Be strong. Stand strong. That's where he starts this whole thing. How are you going to do that? I want you to be a soldier. I want you to be an athlete. And I want you to be a farmer. It's not easy. You pass that baton on to somebody else. And when you do that, you know that you're going to have some dips along the way. But even in those dips, Jesus has got you because the word of God is never bound. He can do more than you could ask or imagine. So here's what I give you. And we're going to sing a song. We'll be finished. Who can you pour into? Who can you disciple? Who can God lay on your heart that you can pass the baton? And you can pass the baton, I guess back it would go, or forward it would go, sorry, I'm not a track star. Forward it would go. But at the same time, you can also say, I need somebody to help me. And you can be a Paul and a Timothy at the same time. And that's totally cool. I got people I turn to. Can you give me a little wisdom? Can you help me with this? I need, I need to see this in a different angle. And then folks that I'm hopefully that person to them. Who can you pass the baton to, to be a tool in God's hands? Father, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord. Tools in our hands, as we saw, can go really awry. But us being a tool in your hand can be an amazing thing. So Lord, would you use us? Would you move in us? Would you speak to us? Pray right now, and I just ask you this. Who can you pour into? Who can God lay on your heart? Do you need to be poured into? We've got a lot of programs. We can help with both those things. But give your heart to Jesus with that. Ask God to show you who you can pour into. Secondly, focused soldier, obedient athlete, hardworking farmer, which one do you need to take your game up a notch in the grace of Jesus? Do you say, I, I'm just, I'm misfocused. I'm just, I'm not focused on the things you're talking about, Greg. It's just, I'm, I'm worried about a whole lot of other stuff. Do you say, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an athlete, but I'm not, I'm not competing according to the rules. I'm not obeying what God wants in my life, and I know it. Would you just say, I'm, I'm just kind of lazy. I'm worried about my own stuff. I'm not hardworking. Father, we want you to give us understanding. 
speak to our hearts and souls. For anybody who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that maybe today would be the day they just would whisper a prayer and say, Jesus, forgive my sins, save my soul. I want to be a Christian. I want to walk with you. For those of us who have been walking a long time, show us who we can pour into and pass the baton. Oh, what a tragedy if we don't pass the baton. Lift us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.